Hi, my name is Alex Gibney, and I'm the writer and director of The Crime of the Century, a new documentary about the opioid crisis in America. I came out of the doctors, and there was a representative of Purdue. She said, we have a drug called OxyContin. We pick up all the costs. Just take as much as you need. I said, sounds like a deal. Within the last 20 years, more than 500,000 Americans have been killed by overdoses. Controlled release OxyContin would be the drug that triggered the opioid crisis. But what if we discovered that the crisis started with a crime? When we talk about drugs like OxyContin, you're talking about drugs that are essentially heroin pills. Opioid makers started to promote their opioids for common chronic pain conditions. Purdue didn't have any evidence that the drug was safe, so the company obtained the help of a medical officer at FDA. This is the first time I've ever seen this. This isn't just unethical. I think this could be illegal. Hundreds and hundreds of sales reps go out and meet with doctors and say, the FDA approved this. Big Pharma celebrated its marketing muscle, using parties to lure doctors to write scripts. This was a new drug cartel. There were drug dealers wearing suits and lab coats. Basically, here's some money, write some scripts. Yes. I'm looking at this and I'm going, clearly we're breaking the law. Purdue ends up getting pursued by the authorities. The company lied under oath. Ethics did not play a role. The companies took out their checkbooks and paid to keep the evidence hidden. You are basically telling pharmaceutical companies you have a green light to do this. It explains how America got hooked on opioids. Doctors willing to be paid to prescribe the drug, those are the people that are gonna get you promoted and eventually put you in prison. The abuse exploded and spread like cancer. When you're in that much pain and, and you're addicted to such a high dose, you're a trap rat. When the companies didn't like that they were being held accountable, they decided to change the statute. They should be changing their behaviors, not the rules. People were dying by the tens of thousands, and their own representatives are basically selling them down the river. If you talk to people whose lives have been touched, what does matter to a lot of these people is truth. That is a trailer from the HBO documentary series Crime of the Century, and this is Factual America. We're brought to you by Alamo Pictures, an Austin and London-based production company making documentaries about America for international audiences. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood, and today it is an honor and privilege to welcome documentary film legend Alex Gibney to the podcast. The Oscar and Emmy-winning filmmaker joins us to discuss his latest documentary, Crime of the Century, which premiered on HBO this week. The film provides the most comprehensive look to date of the opioid epidemic in the U.S. Alex, welcome to Factual America. Thanks, glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you. Uh, Thank you so much. The film is, uh, again, Crime of the Century. It's a two-part docuseries. I know it's uh, premiered May 10th and 11th on HBO. This is for our viewers uh, and listeners. This is the 10th. But by the time this gets released on Wednesday, uh, it will have uh, made a big splash in the U.S. It's... um, and then on the UK, in the UK, it's going to show on uh, Sky Documentaries and be streaming on Now TV from Saturday, May 15th at 9 p.m. British Standard Time. So again, welcome uh, welcome to Factual America. Thanks so much. Uh, it's a real honor to have you on, and thanks so much for making this docuseries. 
Um, Alex, uh, I think uh, we... Uh, it, well, maybe the best way to, if you don't mind, for our listeners uh, who probably haven't had a chance to, to see this yet, is to, um, can you tell us what Crime of the Century is about? Sure. I mean, broadly speaking, it's about the opioid crisis. But uh, what was interesting about this was after sitting down with a group of um, reporters from the investigative unit of the Washington Post, I, I came away convinced that we weren't seeing this crisis properly. I mean, in America, we tended to regard it as something we wring our hands over, but treat as if it were some kind of natural disaster, like a flood or a hurricane. Um, what this is about is how the crisis was manufactured, and in a way that I argue is a criminal. So, um, and that's not just my opinion. I mean, a number of companies have pled guilty to uh, to crimes, uh, but that the crisis was manufactured in the sense that 500,000 people have died, millions have become addicted, all because of the fact that um, these opioid medicines were um, advertised as not being either prone to abuse or addictive. Mm. And I, I, th I think you raise a good point, because I was going to ask you, what, I mean, there's been, there's been loads of docs about about the uh, opioid crisis. I've seen many of them. I've even had a tangential relationship with one of them. Um, but why make this film now? But it's because you and the uh, the, the investigative reporters in Washington Post have essentially have undercover, uncovered a crime, haven't you? That's right. It, it's it's, it's reinventing the narrative as a murder mystery, in effect, um, that, that it's it's seeing the intentionality behind this happening. So there's been a lot of hand-wringing. There have been a lot of films about the victims of the crisis. This, this, uh, this series, I would say, focuses more on the perps rather than the victims. So certainly victims are represented um, because it's a, it's a crime story. It's a true crime story is what this is. And, and, and we worked in conjunction with the Washington Post um, and also, you know, we're uh, generously aided at times from a, number, a couple of other authors who've done great work on this. Uh, mm. One is Patrick Graddon Keefe, writer for The New Yorker, who's just written a book called Empire of Pain about the Sackler family, which owns Purdue Pharma. Uh, and um, also Barry Meyer, who was really the first investigative reporter to kind of dig out the first signs of malfeasance. So anyway, I wanted to give credit where credit is due, but, 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 but the purpose of this and what makes this new and fresh is our discovery of evidence that shows um, how deep the criminality goes and actually how the pharmaceutical sales of opioids led to um, other criminal mm. acts relating to illicit opioids like heroin and also illicitly produced and distributed fentanyl which of course is a drug that is really taking a terrible toll uh, on Americans at this time. It's, it's 50 times more powerful than heroin, a hundred times more powerful than morphine. Mm. I mean, maybe you could say a little bit more about that. Could you, can you explain, I mean, maybe go a little bit deeper into that. How did this happen? Because I think uh, without, you know, no spoiler alerts or anything, we, we obviously I highly recommend people watch the film, but uh, um you know, it's it it's quite. I'll say something more after you answer, because because of how, for me personally, having seen a lot of these other docs, what I think is so one of the more 
most powerful things about this this doc is. Uh, but you know, what was it? What I mean, how did they go about creating this 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 crisis or this crime, really? Well, I think it does start with Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family, in the sense that. Um, you know, having had some success with a drug, morphine-based drug called MS content, which is um, uh, which is a time-release form of morphine, um, they then produced a drug called OxyContin, which uses oxycodone again in a time-release capsule. Mm-hmm. And what they tried to do with OxyContin was to say that because of its time-release mechanism, it was not prone to abuse even though we now know it was, Mm -hmm. and also that it was really not addictive. And that was within the context also of um, a a new fashion and trend to view pain as the fifth vital sign and to expand the definition of pain and and to note that that addiction was not really as much of a problem for people as, um, you know, as, as, as pain itself. Now, before I get into... The problem with that, you know, I should say that oxycodone or opiates in general, like morphine, can be extremely effective as pain relievers. Let's say immediately after um, a major operation, morphine or oxycodone can be very valuable for end-of-life cancer patients experiencing excruciating pain. It doesn't matter if you become addicted because you need that pain medicine and it's not going to, you're not going to be taking it for that long, sadly. So, yeah. so there's good reasons why this pain medicine is, is, is still valuable, but the notion that it would be widely disseminated, which of course is much more valuable economically um, that's where you have the problem. It's, the, it's taking this drug that was meant for one thing and saying, no, it's good for everything. I think, so what I was alluding to earlier, because I have seen quite a few of these opioid docs and have had the directors on, and I must say, in the early days, I was always a bit skeptical of this big conspiracy theory, but because it always struck me that it was like, gonna ha- you had to have this wave of corrupt doctors in order to this work. But I think what yours does so powerfully, and I think for the first time, if, if I may say, is that it's, it's really criminal pharma or criminal activities, plus, yeah, there's a few bad apples in there who've obviously, uh, you know, as, as many of your films have shown, all walks of life have, have their bad apples. But uh, that's what leads to this, uh, to this epidemic, this crisis that, that the U.S. faces right now, is that I never quite had an, a, a, a feel for how they, they could have gotten away with it or how they could have per- perpetrated it. As you say, you focused on the perps until having seen well, some, there's some incredible bombshells in there, and we won't go into details of those, but uh, until seeing your film, I think it really, for the first time, really lays it out how we, how we got into this situation. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I think that, look, a lot of the pharmaceuticals like to say, look, you know, we companies who produce products like OxyContin and others, you know, these properly prescribed opioids, you can't hold us to account for heroin addiction or fentanyl addiction. But uh, one of the things that we did was to kind of look at this problem in terms of supply and demand, okay? Through the broad dissemination and false marketing of prescription opioids, um, effectively what the pharmaceutical companies did was to create an enormous demand for opioids. 
And then when, when patients started developing a tolerance or either were not economically able to afford these drugs, they would turn to heroin. Uh, and when heroin became too expensive, they would then turn to illegally produce fentanyl. And we have one character in the film, a kind of Walter White-like character, yeah. who, who goes exactly through that process and ultimately ends up being a fentanyl dealer. And fentanyl, I mean, sadly, is, you know, is so powerful that, that improperly mixed or, or applied can lead to instant death. You know, we, we talked to a number of DEA officials who show, uh, who, who talked to us about DOA scenes where the, the, you know, the fentanyl pipe is still in the, in the person's hand because it, it hit that fast. And so, so does this that's the way in which, you know, the licit and the illicit, uh, you know, are are complicit in a way, and and also, you know, in some ways, the two industries, both illicit and licit uh, opioid industries, actually share a a good amount of um, business oriented DNA, shall we say? Yes, and so does this. I mean, the crisis continues to to rage now, does it? And, yes. and how and has it changed at all? In the no, it's gotten worse. I mean, particularly during the. Um, uh, during COVID, um, you know, opioid overdoses increased. So sadly, you know, particularly with this problem with fentanyl, things are, mm-hmm. things are, are, have not abated. They've gotten worse. Now, one of the things that's happened is there has been a reluctance uh, over time, in, in part because of new guidelines from the CDC, in part because other doctors have become reluctant to prescribe opiates as much as they had been prescribing them in, in the late 90s and early 2000s. And so there's been a, a dramatic cutback. And, and I think there's been a certain amount of uh, supervision of that. And some people are pushing back saying, too much. You know, you, you, you now I'm a legitimate pain patient and it's too difficult for me to get drugs. Okay, so, so the pendulum has swung to some extent in that regard. But in the meantime, what has happened is that there's a tremendous demand has been created that is now being satisfied by illicit fentanyl. And that is hugely a problem. Yeah. And what is the government doing about it? Uh, not enough. I mean, and I suppose you'd have to separate um, the federal government from state governments. Now, a number of state governments are suing pharmaceutical companies, and there is a massive MDL, a so-called multi-district litigation, taking place in Cleveland, where communities and states from all over the United States are suing to try to get some compensation for the damage that has been done, either through opioids, uh, either through, sorry, overdoses, through, um, you know, community treatment centers of addiction, um, you, you know, uh, all, all sorts of things, and and to try to get money paid to compensate the states for the damage done, uh, and those those efforts are ongoing. So so in that sense, government is pushing back. The federal government, sadly, has not only not really addressed this properly, but um, in in one instance, which we chronicle in the film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There was a law passed by unanimous consent. That means every senator and every representative went along with it. There was basically a talking point for the pharmaceutical industry that was indeed written in effect by a representative of the pharmaceutical industry and passed in a way that dramatically undercut the efforts of the DEA to prevent what we call diversion, which is taking properly prescribed opioids and diverting it to the black market. So 
That was a terrible thing. <laughs> um, and, and, and the reason this happens, though, is because of the corruption, unfortunately, that's built in to the American political system in the form of campaign contributions. Yes. Well, I think, I mean, like any great docs, it sheds light on many different subjects, I think. And um, what I kept thinking is, is you, as you do duly note in your film, I think both uh, political parties have blood on their hands when it comes to this. And uh, I kept thinking of uh, the William Grider uh, book, Who Will Tell the People? And that came out in the early 90s. I mean, it's uh, this whole, the, the way the federal power structure is built in. Um, yeah, it's, You know, it's, I look a little, a little bit, I think of it a little bit like, the famous Agatha Christie novel, Murder on the Orient Express, yeah, you know, yeah. throughout the story, we keep thinking, well, there's got to be one culprit. Well, it turns out there were many culprits. <laughs> uh, they were all, you know, uh, plunging the knife into the victim. And so in this case, the crime of the century, one of the reasons we called it that is because there are so many culprits from doc bad doctors to pharmacies looking the other way, to distributors looking the other way, to the manufacturers who know exactly where the pills are going and that they're being diverted, but they're looking the other way, to Congress, to the Department of Justice. There are many bad apples. And so you have to say there are so many that it's really the barrel that is rotten, not the, uh, not the apple that we must look to. And as, we, as you found out, so well documented. I mean, you know, these spreadsheets, these, there's so many smoking guns. Oh my God. I mean, you know, the, we, we, Purdue started this kind of business model of, of giving blandishments to doctors to be sort of spokespeople and uh, speakers for, um, for opioid treatment. Uh, and when you get paid money to advance a drug, by and large, there's a, an incentive to keep using that drug, right? Well, but by the time you get much later to another company called Insys that we profile, which is which had a, um, uh, you know, was a had a fentanyl based uh, under the tongue spray for for breakthrough cancer pain. Well, they now have a, a spreadsheet, a return on investment spreadsheet where, you know, the bribes that they were giving doctors, they would they would quantify whether it was taking them out to dinner or giving them cash payments for so-called speaking engagements that would never take place. If they gave a doctor $10,000, they would look on the chart to see if that doctor prescribed at least double that amount yeah. Yeah. in uh, in in subsis, which was the drug that was being uh, applied. So it was it was literally added on a balance sheet on a on, a, on an Excel spreadsheet in terms of return on investment. So it it was the money that corrupted everything. Yeah. And I think meanwhile the the little guy is still suffering, you know, isn't it? I mean, I think you'd well document that. One thing that struck me you because you, you talk about you know some people have gone to jail. Uh, but you look at the difference, even the differences in like jail sentences and fines, you know, relative to, you know, sort of slaps on the hands for people like Purdue or, um, you know, the guy, Dr. John Kapoor at Insys goes to, I think it's even five years, but even, yeah, I forget the guy's name, but the one that you mentioned at the, uh, who, the fentanyl guy at the end of the film, who, Alec um, uh, no, 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 the, um, sorry, the uh, guy from Lubbock. Texas. Oh, the guy from Lubbock, Texas. He he, yeah. he goes down for for quite Over a number ten years. Of years. Yeah. yeah, he's and he's happy. I mean, oddly enough, because he sees it as a new lease on life. But yet, uh, some of these other people are getting year, two years. You know, this kind of thing. Well, and in, in the case of the Purdue executives, I mean, let's be clear. In two thousand seven, Purdue as a company was convicted of felonies. Uh, then again, in 2020, Purdue once again pled guilty to felonies as a company, but very few executives are held to account 
three executives are held to account in 2007 in a plea agreement in which they plead guilty to misdemeanors of misbranding. But on, on that basis, they would not, you know, spend a day in prison. The recommended charges were far more grievous, but the Department of Justice, you know, the higher ups in the Department of Justice, much against the advice of all their career prosecutors decided to cut this deal. And one of the most damaging things about the deal that was cut was not only that it let executives off the hook um, and also you know, let Purdue get away with a fine, which encouraged other pharmaceutical companies to rush into this market, but it buried the evidence. That was part of the deal that this 120 page prosecution memo, which is one of the key documents we got our hands on, um, all the evidence in that um, charging document would be buried and would never see the light of day. And so as a result, everyday people and journalists, um, you know, would be unaware of the corrupt activities that Purdue is engaging in, in order to pull the fleece over people's eyes about the potential damage that would be done by opioids. I mean, you—that's a good point. You've got a, f a few people in the uh, in the in the film who talk about they just want a public hearing, even if they don't win it, they would like to have a public hearing. So all this stuff gets aired in the public, um, and is it's just you know, and and each time the uh, well, whoever up the higher ups at either DEA or DOJ just just squash this this these things. I mean, what? Is that it's also the problem, you know, with with these uh, civil lawsuits very often, mm -hmm. often you see, you know, um, fines get paid and you think, OK, justice is being done. But part of the justice that isn't being done is the truth isn't being told, mm -hmm. because part of the deal is that we'll pay a fine, but bury the evidence. And, you know, um, Patrick Keefe says something rather poignant toward the end of, of, of part two. He says, at the end of the day, families of victims want something more than money. Because um, after all, you can't quantify the value of a human life. Yeah. What they want is the truth. Yeah. And that's what uh, Crime of the Century is attempting to give to people. Okay. I think that's a good point to take a, a break for our listeners. And we'll be right back with Alex Gibney, award-winning director of Crime of the Century. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm with award-winning director Alex Gibney. The film is Crime of the Century, two-part docuseries, premiered May 10th and 11th on HBO in the U.S., streaming. Is it streaming on HBO Max? I imagine it, it is. It is. Um, and it's uh, here in the U.K. on Sky Documentaries and streaming on Now TV from Saturday, May 15th at 9 p.m. British summertime. Uh, you, we, when we left off, you were talking about Patrick uh, Keefe and the comedy made. I think another comedy made, which I, th I found very interesting, was how everyone kind of... I mean, maybe one reason not more has been done or we all think we so many of us have just seen this as just such a complex problem but he actually says something to the effect that it's actually not all that complex is it um you know and 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 with that in mind i mean now that we know that the system's broke how how do we fix it well i think one way of fixing it 
and this is not so much of a problem in the UK, but in the United States, um, we have a healthcare system with some very bad financial incentives, particularly when it you know, comes to pharmaceutical companies, where, where decisions often get made on the basis of profit rather than healthcare for individuals. You know, I, I, I kind of liken it to um, what I call the MRI problem. So let's say you're a group of doctors and you buy 10 MRI machines. Um, well, having spent that much money on the MRI machines, it probably isn't surprising to people to learn that the number of MRI prescriptions goes up. Why? Because there's a financial incentive to do so. Now, it may be something that you just internalize. It may not be, well, I'm going to do this against the, the, you know, the well-being of the patient. No, but in many cases, an x-ray would be just as good, at least for somebody who's just coming in with, with, mm. with some kind of back pain, say. Um, but the financial incentive is to use the MRI, which, of course, drives up the cost of health care for everybody uh, unnecessarily. So in, in the same way, you know, in the opioid system, you know, there's a financial incentive to get doctors to prescribe not only opioids more broadly for all sorts of pain treatment, but also to continue to titrate up to increase the doses. Why? Because it's financially beneficial to Purdue Pharma. Um, and, uh, and, and they spread that wealth around to doctors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that I think is the big problem. I mean, if you, if you want to really dig deep, you know, one of the ways, of course, there's, you know, we're, we're in the process of various regulatory mechanisms, but it's, it's seeing part of what I wanted to do with crime of the century was to show that it's a complex integrated problem, but really you, you can sort that problem out by attacking it on the level of certain fundamentals and changing the incentive system. So the, the incentive system is not uh, for the profit of private corporations, but for the health benefit of patients who are not consumers. Yes. I, I think that's a, a, a very good point. And I mean, because this isn't, yeah, there are issues with this in other parts of the world, and we've seen some of it in the UK, but nothing like what we have in the US. I mean, no. Um, and is it is it sort of twenty first century capitalism on steroids? Is it uh, right. you know? I, I, I think uh, it is. Well, yeah. And and twenty first century capitalism on steroids, mixed with healthcare. In other words. I'm not somebody who's like in favor of nationalizing Nike, you know, <laughs> in the case of, of sneakers, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, um, markets and competition, that's a good thing. Okay. Yeah. But, but when it comes to healthcare, you know, there's nothing, as I recall in the Hippocratic Oath, it says, it speaks about market share or supply and demand, you know, um, no, it, 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 it's about do no harm and protecting the health and well-being of the patient. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, we could have a whole sis, whole program on uh, health systems and what needs to be done, but I think it's, uh, there's even added, in, like the uh, examples you were given about MRIs, I mean, there's also this whole litigious side of things as well. So, um, you know, do an MRI because that's better than, you know, you're, you're covering your, yourself, you're, basically. You're protecting yourself against torts, yeah. Torts and things like that. But that's just, but, but specifically about opioids. I mean, I think, if you don't mind, because I know we don't have that much time with you today, sure. but uh, um, if we talk about the, f continue talking about the film, but um, I mean, you, um, it's a very, I mean, like, 
like all your docs, but especially this one is, I, I found it extremely compelling because it's so um, character led. In, in, um, and I imagine that that was very deliberate on your side. I mean, even the pictures of everyone's childhood, which I found very poignant in the in this case. It was it kind of put a it made these people real. They could be the neighbors next door, you know. In, in some in, in a lot of these cases, Is, was that something you were tr- thinking of when you approached uh, approach making this film? Very much so, um, you know, and and. You, you, you create this notion of, of people growing up in a system and also wanting to wanting the best for themselves and the and and, and their families you know the American dream and pursuing the American dream um, and that these people are just like us you know so it's we're all people it's not like a one of the things that the, one of the other destructive things that that the Purdue Pharma people would try to do and to some extent other opioid distribution makers would say there are good people and there are bad people. And the bad people are those addicts. They're mm. the ones who are giving us all a bad name because they're addicts. Well, how do you, you know, that's just such a wrong headed way of thinking about mm. addiction. You know, we're all potentially prone to addiction under certain circumstances, yeah. different levels of DNA experience, so forth and so on. Yeah. But, but you, you, you can't tell somebody who is an addict by, the walk and their step, the shimmy and the shake of how they, you know, you know, there's no such thing as that person's a bad person. And likewise, you know, even the perps in this film, you know, you can see them growing up in their childhood with a sense of striving, wanted to make their lives better and pursuing the American dream, but they pursue it in a way where the dominant ethos is as long as you're making money, it's good. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and there's a tendency to rationalize. There's a, 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 a there's a, a saying who I can never remember who said it, but it's that economic actors aren't rational; they're rationalizers. So as you're making money, you rationalize your behavior. Well, a little bit of this, so it's okay to mm. pay this doctor a speaker's fee. That's probably fine. Oh, maybe we'll double it. Maybe I'll take him out to dinner in a strip club, and maybe mm. we'll triple it. You know, because he's really writing writing a lot of opioids, and they're probably pretty good for the patient. So, so the idea of showing these people, and you're you're speaking about somebody like Alec Berlikoff, who's a salesperson yeah. for um, Insys, Sunrise Lee, who I find. A very interesting, compelling character. She was yep. an exotic dancer uh, when, when when Alec Brilikoff shows up at the strip club and then uh, hires her uh, to be what ultimately would be in charge of sales for a third of the country. Um, uh, she also, you know, you, you, you can see she, she, she lived a life mm-hmm. of, um, of extreme duress you know her parents mm-hmm. were abusive and so forth and she just wanted something that was better for her and her family or um mark ross a salesperson for purdue mm-hmm. you know again grows up in ohio and west virginia you know right around the time when john denver was writing that famous song yeah. uh country roads. country roads and you know he comes out of college not meaning to get into the pharmaceutical business falls into a job with purdue pharma the next thing he knows He's like the the key actor in a, a drama of uh, horrible opioid abuse, and he's at the center of it, selling these drugs. Yeah. But with Alec Berlikoff, did you ever imagine you were going to find a character like him? 
No, I he mean, he is an incredible character. He's in a character out of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yes. Always yes. be closing. Always be closing. Yeah. And he has this, he 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 literally had a color-coded system of how to yeah, describe exactly. doctors. Because he didn't want to waste his time. And he he likened that to, by the way, to Sunrise Lee's approach to you know picking out who you would want to potentially spend time with in a strip club. You know, you want the person who's going to pay. So he color codes the doctors according to greens. They're the ecological ones, the blues, they're the analytical ones. Um, you don't pay any attention to them because they're not going to pay off. But the reds, those are the businessmen. Those are the ones you want to focus on. Either the ones who are brutally corrupt because they don't care about creating pill mills or because they just, they subscribe to what Alec calls the whiffum. And what is the whiffle? Yes. What's in it for me? For me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if if these guys, meaning the drug company Insys is going to pay me $10,000, $15,000 to pretend to speak about these drugs, great. It's more money for me. And if I write a few more scripts, fine, no problem. So, and they're so busy, they're not really even thinking about it. So he's, <laughs> so we show the color coded, you know, Alec is incredible. And what I appreciated about Alec, by the way, is this is a guy who pled guilty and ultimately cooperated with the government. Mm. In those cases, most often what you see is somebody says, what I did was very bad. Yeah. But they'll never take you back to the time when they were doing it to show you the tremendous enthusiasm with which they were pushing this stuff. And that's what Alec does so effectively. He takes you back and gives you what it must have been like to see him as a salesperson. He must have been a wildly effective salesperson, <laughs> right? Well, my, yeah, um, it's, and, exactly. And, and, he, and he shows that he was utterly corrupt and admits it now, but yeah. but 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 does so with a with a sense of storytelling enthusiasm that it really does convey how it can work, right? Because you, yeah. you know, this this stuff doesn't happen under dark of night where people agree, you know, using code names to meet at the corner of, uh, mm. you know, Eighth and Vine. You know, it happens up front at, over dinner, um, you know, the regular meeting at the doctor's office. It's it's those little acts of corruption that get mm. bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger over time until you have a full blown corrupt system. I think, I mean, that's the thing. It's a, it's, it's a two-parter, and uh, well, you know, I, I watched that first one, and you, you've got kind of the, in this respect, almost the anti uh, Alec Berlikoff. You've got the Mark Ross who ends with the poem that he's written about the crisis and his regret, and then my eyes just went big in the second part because you've just, you know, it's just I never imagined the stuff that you're able to that you document what, what that was going on in terms of that the uh the sales conferences everything that was going into um how about the pushing. how about the 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 hip-hop video oh um i mean <laughs> the titration video where, where where literally you have these two guys who are salespeople from the company insys talking about titration which is you know ratcheting up the dose which means more money for subsist but the rap that that goes along with that uh, video is basically a step-by-step -step description of their criminal practices. <laughs> it's like, it's like, when do you see that? It's like, hey, let's yeah. do a dance to the crimes we're committing. You know, it's, it's kind it's, of unbelievable. Yeah, because Alex says it's like probably something they shouldn't have done. I mean, I mean, one of my favorite scenes in one of your most re more recent docs is uh, in the Theranos doc is with uh, Elizabeth Holmes coming in with to 
to you can't touch this, you know. And and this trumps that. Like that that is nothing compared to you know to what the, what you've got here with that with that rap video. Well, and, and and it turns out like this seems to be a trope for people. It's like when you're <laughs> corruptly making money, make a song, you know, and dance <laughs> exactly. to it. Because it, we should we we found some videos that had never been released before of some of the mm. Purdue sales conferences. Uh, I think there was we showed excerpts from one in mm. 1997, and you know, they hired a rock band to sing songs about how aggressively they were pushing these drugs. Yeah. You got to sell Oxycontin, sell yeah. MS Contin, oh. and everybody's like pumping their fists and twirling and dancing. There, there, there was no song about how we're going to do good for the patient, good for yes. the patient. Yeah. No, no, no. You know, it's all about selling commissions, payoffs. You know, it's all about the money. Well, speaking of which, I mean, in the most recent review in The Guardian, they say, Gibney's no stranger to prolific corruption, greed, and incompetence. Um, do you ever just want to throw your hands up sometimes? I mean, and this must have even shocked you, what you've you found with, with this dog. It did shock me. I mean, I, honestly, like as I said at the beginning, like many people, I viewed the opioid crisis as something that was terrible, but something that just happened, as if there was yeah. no cause and effect. Um, and it, it turned my head around to realize that, no, it was actually a crime. And look, this is part of what we do. That's why, you know, Justice Brandeis famously said, um, sunlight is the ultimate disinfectant, right? Mm. So that's why we tell these stories, and that's why I continue to do it. It's not like um, most of us, well, there's a famous Cherokee saying, um, you know, it, 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 it goes something like this, which is that, you know, inside of us live two wolves. Um, you know, one is good and one is evil. And and the, the next question is, well, how do you know which one takes hold? And the saying goes, depends on the one you feed, right? So, so I, I think that like looking at people and dividing them into categories of good or bad people misses the point. Mm. We're all a little bit gray. And depending on the circumstances, we could go one way or the other. Which wolf are we going to feed, right? Mm. And that's the purpose of telling these stories, because I, I, I think if I thought that um, that it didn't make any difference, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, you got to be prepared. It, it's like phishing attacks, right, on your computer. Um if you know they're coming and you know if you get hi alex name is ed from you know <laughs> ukraine please yeah. click on the link so i can give you happy prize yeah, right yeah. <laughs> you know and and if you're not conditioned to say sorry i'm not i'm probably not going to click on that link then you're going to get burned right yeah. so by by letting people know i i i because my view of human nature is not that we're all bad or that we're all good, but that we're uh, poten potentially a little bit of both. And over time, we either feed the good wolf or we feed the bad wolf. Yes. And I well, I thank you for saying, because that was one of the question, last questions I was going to ask you about what your films say about human nature. And I think that's uh, it's, it's very, very well put, uh, obviously. I think... Um, we're all capable of great things. We're all capable of horrible things. I, I That's think, right. me personally. Um, and so I, I'm aware we're actually coming to the end of our time. Um, 
Um, so can I ask what's what's next for you after this? I mean, you you I mean, I don't know how you do it. You generate so so much so many high quality docs. You had three that dropped just in twenty twenty alone. I mean, uh, it's it's absolutely amazing. Uh, what, what's next on the cards uh, for twenty twenty one? There's some stuff coming out. I, I, I think I I generally don't talk about them too much in advance because I like them like them to uh, you know drop when they do and and it takes the energy out of it if I do. Okay. But you know, I would say look the you know this one I worked on for three years. Um, mm. Another one, Agents of Chaos, I worked on, I think, for four. Yeah. It was a little bit anomalous this year. I, I, I helped with two other people to rush through a, a documentary called Totally Under Control, which was all right. about the COVID, COVID yeah. pandemic. And, and, and but, but, you know, the, the thing about doing what I do, and I feel lucky to be able to do it, is that I've reached a point where I can spend a good bit of time on these things. And so really dig deep and think through them from all different angles. And so, you know, some, of course there's stuff I'm working on and it's, and, and thankfully it's a mixture of the dark and the light and, and, and some investigative stuff along with some stuff about music and sports, which I really dig and I like to do more on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well well we look forward to seeing those all of them um uh, and if uh if we haven't scared you off we'd love to have you back on again sometime it's uh it's been a joy having you on and and to discuss um um crime of the century uh one last question if i may uh, what do you think crime of the century's legacy will be or what do you hope it will be i hope that the legacy will be um to destigmatize uh, those who are addicted to these drugs and also cause a complete reevaluation of the bad economic incentives in healthcare. If it would do that, I would be very, very proud and happy. And I think we would all benefit if that is indeed what what happens. So uh, thank you so much for for being coming on to Factual America. Good luck with the uh, release. I know it will do well. And um, yes, uh, look forward to hopefully having the chance to talk to you again sometime. So uh, thank you again. Thank you, Matthew. A great pleasure. So I just want to say thank you again to Alex Gibney. The film is Crime of the Century, uh, premiered on May 10th and 11th on HBO. It's also streaming on HBO Max. And we'll drop on Sky Documentaries and stream on Now TV from Saturday, May 15th at 9 p.m. here in the U.K. If you have any questions regarding how you can become a documentary director like Alex Gibney or other roles in the industry, I recommend you check out Careers in Film to learn more about careers in the film industry. I want to give a shout out to Intersound Audio just outside of York, well, actually in Eskrick, England. A uh, big thanks to Nevena Paunovich, our podcast manager at Elmo Pictures, who ensures we continue getting such great guests like Alex Gibney onto the show. And finally, a big thanks to our listeners. As always, we love to hear from you, so please send us your feedback and episode ideas. And whether it is on YouTube, social media, or directly by email, we'd love to hear from you. And please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Almo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. 
Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.